Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Jackie Embry. I'm a newly retired United Reformed Church minister. I have worked with churches across Birmingham and Bolton and Salford and as moderator in the United Reformed Church's Mersey Synod. I'm now living in Kendall on the edge of the Lake District. Each week I'm joined by a different guest and today I'm very pleased to introduce the Reverend Nathan Maguire who has started recently as JPIT Campaigns and Church Engagement Officer. From 2009 to 2017, he worked for the Domestic Violence Intervention Project. Nathan then made the transition to become a Baptist minister. He joined the ministry team at, ministry team at Streatham Baptist Church from 2019. So welcome, Nathan, and thank you for being willing to talk about politics in the pulpit this morning. Thank you for having me. Some of the headlines that reflect our context today are that the PM is to address Parliament today about military strikes in Yemen. Last week, the UK Parliament voted for the anti-boycott bill, which would block bo public bodies from taking part in boycotts. A new law, AWAB's law, is to be introduced, aiming to make social landlords improve housing conditions, but this will not be applied to asylum accommodation. Violence continues in Israel and Palestine, Ukraine, Yemen, Sudan, Syria, Myanmar, and other parts of the world. Iceland is experiencing its second volcanic eruption in a month as houses catch fire in Grindavik, a small town in southwest Iceland. Conflict in Ecuador continues after a week of violence following a notorious gang leader disappearing from prison. Tensions rise about Somalia and Ethiopia concerning Somaliland. But there is also good news. Cape Verde has become the fourth African country to eliminate malaria. And closer to home, a rough sleeping charter has been launched in London. Church-wise, we're currently in the season of Epiphany. The week of prayer for Christian unity runs from the 18th to the 25th. And then Holocaust Memorial Day starts on the 27th. The lectionary readings for Sunday the 21st are Jonah 3, 1 to 5 and 10, Psalm 62, 5 to 12, 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31, and Mark 1, 14 to 20. So with all that, where would you like to start with thinking about preaching this Sunday, Nathan? Well, thank you again for, for having me. I guess. Um really having read through the, the passages there's really strong themes of uh, obedience and urgency in quite a lot of the passages and I think that would be a really good place to to start. Do you want to start with any of them in particular? Well yeah so we could turn to Jonah free uh, I guess. I think for me um, this is one that we would all be really familiar with isn't it? It's the, the passage of Jonah being swallowed by the whale um, and I'm always struck in many ways about Jonah's initial resistance to God's uh, sending of him to uh, basically be a prophetic voice and call for repentance. And um, I was over the Christmas period, I shared it on my, my Instagram feed, actually, in stories, I was sharing about my little uh, niece, 
who um, uh, is actually a bundle of joy. And it was at, over the weekend, um, the first weekend just before Christmas. And um, I was uh, sitting down watching TV, really just trying to unwind. And as an introvert, kind of being completely depleted by the week's exercises and kind of work and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was sitting down watching, trying to get in uh, fraud in a particular series I was watching at the time. And she came bumbling in. And we've got this little bit of a tradition where as soon as she comes in, she jumps on me and tries to distract me <laughs> um, and get my attention. I thought, oh, it's really cute until <laughs> actually in the moment. And um, as she was um, trying to distract me, she said, she asked me, said, Uncle, um, I want you to cook for me. And at this point, I was kind of like, I was really just getting into the, the series and I was really tired. And I was like, well, knowing that her mum and dad were literally just five minutes behind behind her, that they were going to uh, come in and prepare her lunch. Um, I said, oh, no, mummy and daddy will uh, cook cook for you. you. You just need to be patient. And she's like, no, uncle, I want you to cook for me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, no, 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 don't worry. Mum and dad will come in um, and come and cook for you. And she was like, in a very sort of a huffy, puffy sort of way that uh, little little girls can do, little boys can do. Um, she said, uncle, you need to listen more. <laughs> well, it's kind of, it just took me by I tried to keep a straight face. I was like, hey, you cheeky, I'll cook you in a minute. And she just looked at me and smirked. And as she got off of me, walked away and turned back. And she said, uncle, I'm too nice to be cooked. And walked off and started laughing. <laughs> And um, it, it seems like a really silly story, but what was really interesting, I was reflecting on it as I was reading uh, some of these passages, in particular the Jonah passage, uh, about this sense of obedience and also weariness. And um, this, this sense that actually I was quite tired, if I was being honest with myself, just really tired, I just really didn't want to go up and cook. I could have, and I have in the past, but actually I was like, no, some, it's somebody else's issue. Someone else can sort it. I'm tired. I'm just focusing on myself. I'm trying to unwind. Her mum and dad are going to cook, cook for her. And actually, often we can do the same thing when we're seeking to seeking justice in the world, can't we? Um, we can often think it's somebody else's problem to sort out. That actually, I'm enthralled in my life, trying to sort out my life, maybe trying to sort out this particular campaign that I'm working on and these other issues, other NGOs or charities or churches will kind of handle the other aspects of what's going on in the world. And I think part of that for me, and certainly in that experience, just highlighted to me how weary I think a lot of us have become over the last couple of years with everything that's going on, constantly being bombarded by negativity and kind of what's going on, whether it's uh, the volcanoes in Iceland or whether it's the wars in Israel-Palestine or Somalia or kind of all other places in the world, just kind of constantly being enthralled in different sort of tensions and um, conflicts. And I think What's really interesting as well with the Psalms passage, because the Psalms passage in Psalm 62 talks about this resting in God, doesn't it? Yeah. It talks about finding rest and being still in God. And I, I think I was really challenged again to, to really reflect on what it means to find rest in God. That actually, if I'm seeking justice, I must ultimately seek to find rest in God and serve from that place in rest and that isn't just ceasing from activity but it's trusting in the providence and sovereignty of God in the work of Christ and his death and resurrection that ultimately God is working in and outside our very own efforts 
that doesn't give us license to do nothing, but it certainly reminds us that um, there is a beginning and an end to ourselves, that in the wider grander scheme of history, our small contributions are held together by, by a sovereign God. But going back, I guess, to the Jonah passage, I think what what's another thing that really strikes strikes me really is the fact that Jonah's resistant to going to Nineveh. And there's been loads of different arguments about why that was, whether he felt that because it wasn't necessarily um, his people that actually he he didn't necessarily see that God should be merciful or a whole 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 loads of reasons. But I think what's really interesting, certainly in one of the conflicts that is very at the forefront of our media and our, our news at the moment, is is it possible for those that we deem as evil or perpetrators or abusers, is it possible for them to find God's mercy and to have opportunity to repent? Um, and I think that profoundly challenged me, and I'm certainly drawing from my experience in working with abusive men, that often when you are at the forefront, either experiencing their abuse or even working with them, you can be like, how on earth can you see the world like this? Can't you see you're wrong in this? Um, and ultimately within that, you can sometimes go into a headspace where it's like, you're just, you're just vile, <laughs> you know? And uh, it is a real challenge to say, and even someone who's experienced abuse as a child growing up from from his his dad, um, I had to kind of come to a place where saying that if my dad repented, God would forgive him. Uh, yeah. You know, there is there is that song to God be the glory, um, that even the vilest offender, um, that sense that God died, Jesus through God through Jesus died for everyone. Um, that if they repent and believe in him, they would have eternal life. Yeah, I mean, there is this bit about, um, you know, Evan has got more to, to say about one sinner that repents than, than the 99 who, who don't need to repent or perhaps don't think they need to repent as much. Yeah, um, yeah. Because we yeah. can be very judgmental, can't we? Well, certainly. And I, I think, it, again, you know, I, I think I want to caveat what I just said by the fact that, you know, especially if you're uh, a victim or survivor is in an abusive relationship, one needs to treat that language with care and recognizing that ultimately uh, an individual's safety is paramount and should be the first cause of what action should be taken. Um, within that, though, I do think um, even those who of us who are seeking to stand with those who are oppressed or marginalized, I think it's really important to remember that even those that perpetrate abuse or oppression, God makes space for them to repent and to receive his mercy. And therefore how one responds uh, in campaigning and activity, they, we have to hold that as Christians, as followers of Jesus in the back of our mind. And certainly it's what, um, made the non-violent resistance movements, Martin Luther King and others, um, really so powerful because underpinning that was recognizing that we, it, before God, we're all on one level in ground. We are all in need of uh, redemption. Um, and actually violence then can't be perpetrated as a justification um, against those who are oppressing us. So, yeah. And the Psalm does certainly talk about, if you like, a level playing field and not um you know those with power and those without power um still standing before god yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I think part of that, that, that sort of wrestling can only be realized when we have God as a forefront and focus, that as we begin to allow God to reveal more of who he is, we recognize our own sin and also the sin of humanity before him, that all of a sudden there's a leveling ground to say actually we're all in need of this saviour that we so uh, confidently often preach about um, on a Sunday or certainly go out into the world to to share. Um, so, yeah. And is part of part of that, I mean, going back to Jonah and what you were saying about Jonah, that sometimes we're not listening to what it is that God wants each of us to be doing now. You know, we we can see so much and we've gone down a path, but actually God wanted Jonah to do something else. And Jonah yeah. was having none of it to begin with. Yeah, 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 certainly. And it, again, it, it speaks to... Um the human our christian experience doesn't it um we we often don't like to admit that we have hand selected those who are able to receive god's mercy um and it often is people that look like us it's often that people who talk like us smell like us etc um, we we kind of put uh limits and capacity upon who can receive god's mercy and grace and i think um the Jonah passage, I think, is a really helpful reminder that we must always do a heart work. Um, and maybe sometimes God keeps us in an experience of the whale in our lives to, to prompt us and to remember that his mercy is far above our, our imaginational thought, that it's who he deems is worthy of his mercy, not who we deem. Um, and that can be really, really difficult when one is faced um, with experiencing oppression and abuse. I, I, I can't, I can't say that flippantly. It's really difficult. Um, but when you look at some of the most powerful stories that really cause us to reflect, uh, you know, I was taken back by some of the stories. Um, one particular story, I can't remember her name, but an individual who in the Rwanda uh, genocide actually talks about how she came to a place of forgiveness of those who basically killed mm -hmm. her entire family um, and actually seeking, still seeking justice for her people, but at the same time recognizing that reconciliation was possible uh, because of what Jesus had done uh, as justice was seen in response to that particular genocide. And I mean, as you say, for an individual, that is a really, really hard journey. Mm. But looking from the outside, those are the people who who strike me most when we're looking at any conflict. Um, I think you know the Israel-Palestine thing is at the forefront of our our screens, and there have been some amazing people, um, you know, particularly. Um, those who, who've lost family members and, and those who've had family members kidnapped who are talking about the possibility of, of peace and reconciliation because actually what's the alternative at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, uh, theologians like Munzer and others um, who have really articulated really well 
a, a balance between seeking justice, reparations, and kind of returning of occupied land, while at the same time saying that there is always a place for reconciliation. Um, and I think that that in and of itself is a huge prophetic critique um, of where we are at within our spirituality and our understanding of the gospel in the West. Um, I think we we need to hear some of that challenge um, as individuals who, in our silence, can are being made complicit in the abuse of the Palestinian people. Um, and I think again, kind of looking at the, the even the First Corinthians passage, there's this sense of urgency that Paul's trying to grapple with, um, uh, and I think it, it's a reminder that. Um, the time is short. We we have to hold that mentality that actually time is short, that there is a demand on us in our generation to respond to this. And we can't divorce ourselves and unlink ourselves from the responsibility to do right in the world and certainly do right for for um, those that are suffering in, uh, in Palestine at the moment. Yeah. How do we hold that balance between the urgency of many of these situations and the fact that like Christianity they've been around for quite a while um it's it's many years um since the beginning of, of the conflicts between Israelis and, and Palestinians it's a lot longer since Paul was around and it's so easy for us to to say, well, you know, another 2,000 years, we've got time. Mm. And yet, as you say, Paul is, is, is trying to uh, remind us that there's a lot of things that need to be sorted now. Yeah. Uh, such a good question, uh, Jackie. I, I think part of it is who are we identifying with and who are we near? Um, I think I had the opportunity to go with uh, a group of lead Christian leaders to Israel-Palestine last year, and I was really struck by the levels of suffering that was being articulated in a way that I hadn't really engaged with uh, beyond uh, one or two news programs. Um, and I think if someone is drowning, we don't seek to have loads of theological debate about what's the best way of trying to save that individual we, we the response is this needs to stop we need to save them now um, and I think part of the issue that we have is that um, Palestinian voices aren't really heard um, you have to do some heavy digging uh, or mining through our news outlets or through um, through, even through our theological readings um, or liturgy to be able to really hear the voice of uh, the Palestinian people. Um, that's certainly growing at the moment. Right? There's a sense of that growing. So even on Saturday, there was another march in protest uh, seeking a, cease, a ceasefire um, and ceasing of hostilities. Um, so that that's certainly growing, but I, I do think when you listen to again Munfer's experience and others' experience about how often their voice is silenced on the global stage and they're not often heard because it makes it really difficult for people to reconcile where their theology may lie. Um, 
uh, in its complicity of the oppression of of the Palestinian people. So they 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 don't want to hear it. They shut it down. And I think certainly as a as a Christian who is black, um, I identify with that experience. I know what that's like um, in some ways to to feel silenced, um, to to not have your experience fully legitimized or affirmed. Um, so I, I think that there is something about listening well, identifying well, uh, doing more balanced reading, um, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, we don't necessarily instinctively agree with it. Um, but yeah, I think identifying and listening is is certainly part of it. And I think as it, for the reason for this podcast and talking about the pulpit, I think kind of exploring more liturgy around laments and for that lament to be authentic, I think, again, you need a degree of proximity to, to those hearing the voices of those who are suffering. Um, uh, last year, towards the end of last year, I had the opportunity of uh, being a part of a vigil for, for um, the, the atrocities that had been going on in the region. And it was very, very strong, powerful liturgy around suffering and loss. And I think for me, we need to do more of that in our congregations, giving people access points biblically, theologically, um, to engage with liturgy that is shaped by lament as worship. Um, and I think that is quite a powerful thing and also quite key disciple in terms of discipleship as well to to help our congregations and our um, our churches to to be propelled from the Sunday into right action in, in the week. And when you're lamenting, as you say, it can be very powerful. Should we be trying to be, I don't know what the word is, possibly inclusive in our lament, in actually recognizing loss um, across the board, so to speak. In other words, um, I mean, as I say, particularly with this recent conflict, there is there's pain and hurt um, on both inverted commas sides. Um, do we need to recognize pain elsewhere as well as our own pain? And, and how do we go about that? Well, yeah, I think certainly um, one of the things that this vigil in particular did really well, I think, was to uh, capture words from uh, both Palestinians and Jews that had lost loved ones. Um, and ultimately, in that moment, not saying that you have to take a side, but just listening to the conflict behind those words, the, the unresolved nature of the suffering um, can be really powerful. And I think as Christians, we often, especially within the West, it's quite easy to be black and white on things. And some may kind of listen to that and say, pardon the pun, um, that underneath part of colonialism is really this really stark, there are good, there are bad people, and you're on one side or the other. I'm not sure that is actually what we often read in our scriptures to say actually even the most people even the people with the most fondest or uh, sort of good intentions should i say have often sometimes dark places in their hearts 
um, you got David, who was called Man After God's Own Heart, but actually got someone murdered and then also uh, abused and used, abused his power with Bathsheba. And again, you've got this wrestling through within human nature that God wants to call the best out of us, but at the same time, we have mixed motives on things. And I think recognizing that and even in this conflict it's not about saying okay you're the evil one and you're the good one it's saying actually we're all fallen within this context however we recognize that there is one people group that may be experiencing more of the harms of the fallenness of our natures um, and we would seek in that sense to say we need to speak truth to those who have the power to switch somebody else's water off or electricity off. Um, that's quite a powerful thing. Um, so I think, again, helping our churches through uh, engaging in laments, identifying with people's suffering can be a powerful way of discipleship uh, to have enabled them to be able to go out in the world to seek justice. Uh, I love the book uh, entitled um, Prophetic Lament by Sung Chung Ra. Um, it is a brilliant book um, to, to kind of draw from, especially with some of these passages that we're looking at, um, because the argument that is made through in that book is to say that so often our churches are about celebration and, over, and triumphalism we don't really engage within our discipleship about how lament is an essential part of Christian worship. And I know we're looking at, at Mark this week um, mm. and Mark's call um, for the disciples, but just what you were saying then strikes me that what Peter was said in Luke when Jesus was calling him and, and you know, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And yet it was the sinful man who we hear, you know, certainly through the gospel um, gets things wrong. And, and one minute is is calling out the Messiah and the next minute it's get thee behind me, Satan. Um, nevertheless, he was called and, and I guess so are we. Certainly, certainly. And again, you know, I think that's a really important point to make in the first John passage, first John 14 you have John who's imprisoned just as Jesus' ministry in many ways is kicking off. Um, and again, you've got this tension of, you know, John must have been thinking, okay, hold up. What's going on here? Like, I'm being imp I'm being sent into prison and then you're meant to be this one who's now calling a whole bunch of disciples. Where am I in in this overall plan of, um, of the good news? And I think yeah, we, we certainly need to grapple more with, with some of those tensions in in, in our passages. Uh, one of the things I was reflecting on um, and I kind of came across was a poem by Maya Angelou. Um, and I think, it, again, it talks to the sense of, are we obeying the call of Christ to do justice in the world? And it's called My Guilt. And I'll just read, read it, if that's okay. Um, so it's called My Guilt, and she writes, my guilt is slavery's chains. Too long the clang of iron falls down the years. The brothers sold and the sisters gone is bitter wax lining my ears. My guilt made music with the tears. My crime is heroes dead and gone. Dead Fessy, Turner, Gabriel, dead Malcolm, Marcus, Martin, King. They fought too hard, they loved too well. My crime is I'm alive to tell. 
My sin is hanging from a tree. I do not scream, it makes me proud. I take to dying like a man. I do it to impress the crowd. My sin lies in not screaming loud. I think what's really profound about that poem is that she's really grappling with the fact that actually you've got people who have died for the cause, um, who have really gone all out and actually it's cost them their lives as it cost Christ um, his life. Um, and she's somehow wrestling through, well, I'm actually still alive to be able to speak. Have I fully given myself to to speaking justice and screaming justice? And I found that really powerful. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Nathan, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we finish? Yeah, I, I think uh, coming back to really the, the, the podcast in itself is, uh, you know, the usual question is, is uh, politics meant to be in the pulpit? And I would want to say yes, wholeheartedly, because Jesus was political. Um, we cannot get away from that. Um, and I think when we look at Jesus' ministry, when we look at how he spoke to the centurion, the leper, uh, the woman at the well, um, a whole variety of people marginalized, see how uh, uh, Zacchaeus uh, repents and uh, engages in a way where he gives back money he had stolen, reparations. You, you, you can see that the unfolding of Jesus's message is about justice and it has political implications for the Roman Empire, um, which is the reason why he was ultimately killed, uh, to forgive our sins as well. And I think what we, in this time, I think it's really important that we are seeking to discern what it means to be prophetic in the world. Um, what does it mean to be prophetic locally? Uh, talking about rough sleepers, uh, those who may be uh, in, uh, suffering poverty within our own lands, but then also those who experience oppression, maybe even further afield. Um, and I would want to encourage um, preachers and those who are discipling in our Christian communities to be courageous. Uh, this isn't the time to have to, to not be screaming. Um, Maya Angelou in a poem would say, scream and scream loud, call for justice. Um, so yeah. So should we as preachers be irritating those we who are listening to us or um, I I would say yes. Yeah. So um, I, I one of my hand my handles for uh, my social media is be a godly irritant. The godly irritant. I think if our message isn't irritating uh, the powers that be, then we we maybe somehow diluted something. Jesus was an irritant, one who was an irritant in love because he loved mm -hmm. those who had been cast out. And I would caveat all of that to say that I think. When people do ask about whether or make a challenge about politics shouldn't be in the pulpit, I think sometimes what they're trying to articulate is that we shouldn't be uncritical of our campaign or political allegiances and we shouldn't seek to lobby from the pulpit. Mm. Um, I would wholly agree with that. Um, we saw it with the Brexit campaign, it was very tricky to be able to kind of go down a middle road on that. But I think ultimately, yes it is important that when we speak on behalf of those that are marginalized we are being political and to fail if your message isn't political i would question 
where Jesus is in the message. Oh, well, thank you very much indeed for coming and sharing you for your me. wisdom and reflections with us today. Um, and thank you to the rest of you for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach politics from the pulpits this week. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on X, that's Twitter, at pulpit underscore politics, or using hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we have a Facebook group, which you can access through Joint Public Issue Team's Facebook page and the website JPIT UK, that's J-P-I-T dot UK. So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a prayer based on the URC's worship notes for Sunday the 21st, written by Andy Bronston. Let's pray. May the one who has called us since before the ages began, the one whose eyes have gently smiled at us, the one who accepts our nets and our labour, bless us that we may proclaim the good news, show gentle love to those around us, irritate those we love, and accept all who are placed in our path. Amen.